Welcome to the 13th episode of Who's Editing, a thought experiment in which my guest and I appoint ourselves editors of a comic book line at DC Comics. But the joke's on us because we can only use the characters of a specific issue of Who's Who, and in fact, must use them. I'm Siskoid, and I'll let you in on all the rules, but first, even before we welcome our guest... I have to announce that Who's Editing is now on its own feed. So if you're listening to it on the all-inclusive network feed, you can also subscribe to it directly on your favorite podcatcher on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Okay, now let's welcome my guest in which to create a line of books based on Who's Who number 13. It's the Legion issue. So, of course, I had to invite the leader of the Legion of Superbloggers, little Russell Burbage. Welcome to the show, Russell. Hello. Thank you for having me. I'm very glad to have you because you don't do a lot of podcasting, so I feel it's a little treat for me. <laughs> well, I feel the same way. I don't do a whole lot of podcasting, but when I come, it's like I'm a very special guest, right? On a very special episode of Who's Editing, we're doing the Legion issue, which I, we call it the Legion issue, and sometimes it's like, oh, okay, the next time it's going to be the Martian Manhunter issue. It's like there's just one entry. Uh, in this case, there are a lot of Legion entries. Was this a challenge for you? A uh, little bit, yeah. When I was told that I had to come up with different uh, ideas for each of the entries, but there's like four Legion entries, so what do I do? So it was a little bit complicated, yes. I, I felt the same. I mean, several – for me, the toughest was probably that there's are, there are like three animal entries in, in this, uh, which made it even more – like how many animal – comics can you have in your line that, that still makes sense and don't have the same basic idea so uh and a lot of a lot of historical entries as well it's which is always a little bit hard to to fit in yeah i had looked through the list and i thought oh this is be awesome this one i could absolutely come up with and then you hit the clunkers or or i guess i the the more difficult ones and i think Ooh, ooh, all right, I'll come back to that one. I mean, I've done it many times now, and it's uh, you get these hurdles, and then you find a way. So one more time, here are the rules. Each episode of Who's Editing uh, will go by. Our line of books must include a monthly series for every hero, character, or team featured, as well as any non-HQ location. There is one in this. We can give a villain or other entry their own series if we absolutely feel the need to, but we can only name a single villain from the issue to receive that honor. Imagine we're coming back from some crisis or other so we can reboot characters or use any continuities version. It's really up to us. Titles don't have to match the entries. Note that we are each pitching our own ideas, so we'll sort of end up with two possible lines of books. Listeners, you decide which books you'd actually want to read, and we'll actually play that game too, uh, as we'll have each, each of us will have enough money to buy one title from the other editor's line. First of all, tell me, Russell, did you have a strategy going into this? Well, I basically looked at the list and I thought, okay, what would I want to buy? What would I want to read? And so... Uh, there's a couple of different things across genres. There's some, a war book and there's a kind of a fantasy. There's some straight superheroes, of course. But the, so I had to kind of think about what would I do with each of those? I couldn't do the same sort of thing for everything. So I, I wanted to make it interesting for me. And so I kind of went back to the, the Bronze Age where you could potentially find all sorts of things across the, the DC universe. And I kind of went back to that as my, uh, Hallmark. I did something that I never do, almost never do. It's uh, craft my line around a big event type deal. I've had other guests do it. Usually I've shied away from it. But we, we've recently had Future State. Yes. So I'm planning a year of comics called Fractured State. So the last crisis wave broke the universe and continuity is different in each fragment. While there's the rest of the DCU 
goes on normally. There are other editors, you know, working. So by the end of the year, the successes will be reintegrated into the whole. The failures won't. And some books are just designed (laughs) never to be integrated. It'll be obvious. And I even have a book that's going to make that happen. But it's my bonus book, so you'll have to wait for that one. <laughs> anyway, that's how I decided to handle the fact that there are so many Legion books, uh, plus, you know, the Lightning Twins each have a book. And I didn't want to have many books in the 30th in the same 30th century, so they'll be in different fragments. You'll see. Okay. Yeah, the other, the other kind of sub-concept I had was, like, limited series. L for limited, because a lot of these things are not necessarily commercially viable, <laughs> shall we say? So it's like, okay, let's give it three or four issues, see if it sticks. And if not, then then we'll move on. Yeah. If it's not, suddenly it'll be written limited series on the top. <laughs> That's what yeah. they do these days. It's like nine issue miniseries. Oh, was it? Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> right. Uh, so with issue 13 of Who's Who, we have to include a minimum of 18 books in our line and a maximum of 19 with the bonus. Uh, Russell, I'm going to hand it off to you first and we'll do a bit of back and forth in entry order. We'll keep our bonus villain series if we have one. I say villain. I mean, your series could be kryptonite, I, I, but we'll keep that for the end. So we're talking about animal series. The first one is Crypto. Okay, this is one of my favorites. Uh, right off the bat, I've always liked Crypto. And I came up with Crypto and the Legion of Super Pets. I kind of combined both of those the same way Superboy and the Legion used to exist. So it's uh, family-friendly, uh, all ages, kind of a DCU pet version of Marvel's Defenders. It's got kind of Crypto as the, the linchpin. And it's got Ace the Bat Hound as whenever there's an Earthbound adventure. You've got Beppo the Super Monkey there if there's a, a a cosmic kind of adventure that has to be happening. And then it time travels between Smallville when Crypto was a super pup and uh, Metropolis and Supergirl City, Argo or wherever the hell she is. And then the 30th century or 31st century, I guess. And I'm not sure if their Legion origin is based on what happened uh, initially in the Silver Age where these brain creatures take over, or maybe it's Starro. I know that Starro has come back, so I kind of thought of that, and then I heard that Starro was in a a recent movie, and I thought, oh, I don't want to sound like I copied that, but I kind of liked the idea that that Starro would not be able to take control of Crypto or Ace or Topo the Octopus or Storm or Imp or, or Kanga or any of those characters. So they came together and said, you know, basically we should band together whenever there's something that, you know, a single superhero can't handle or, or superheroes can't handle. When I say it's the animal version of the Defenders, I mean that basically we have Crypto and Streaky and, and Ace kind of always around, but then we've also got Comet and I'd like to have one of the stories be who is the super Comet, you know, who is Comet? So that we maybe get start Detective Chimp in the role of Robin and figures out, you know, Comet is really a person or is it really a bewitched man from, was it Cersei or somebody who put a spell on him? Let's split that up and make Comet a real horse. And then Dorm and Imp, Topo and Tusky, all of those, what I consider, <laughs> and I don't say this with any touch of irony, mainstream, you know, animal characters. And then, of course, introduce Gleek. And the Wonder Dog and Rex and Detective Chimp, as I mentioned, there was an adorable crypto appearance in a Supergirl story from by Amanda Connor a couple of years ago in the Wednesday Comics story. That was that's the kind of tone I would be shooting for. Charlie Fish, Amanda Connor, Scott Gerald's Art Baltazar, all these T Bone, those types of people who could come in and do a couple arcs uh, individually just to make it fun. 
and really just play around with the whole DCU by from the point of view of the our pets. It would be an animal rights, animal care type series. Pro T, if he showed up at all, would be kind of like, I am not a pet, pet lives matter, things like that, maybe. Uh, animal rights activists. And I even came up with some villains, uh, Mechanic Cat, uh, the Horned Owl Gang, kind of reimagine them as a animal gang. The Ether Bunny, who is gaseous. The Kryptonite Kid, K-I-D-D, who would be a goat. Cerebrus, the super smart evil dog. Top Dog, Atomic Dog. For those of you who grew up in the 80s, may know who Atomic Dog is. Bow, wow, wow. Yippee, oh, yippee, eh. Then um, the copycat, evil cat from the planet Karg. I figured the Legion was kind of the the underlying theme of the issue. So throw in a couple uh, Legion-type villains. And that would be my pitch for Crypto and the Legion of Super Pets. Combining two entries into one book. Okay, I did not combine the, the entries so you, we'll, we'll we'll wait for my legion of super pets book but my crypto is called superman's best pal crypto it's a series that takes the uh, jimmy olsen approach to super dog yep. stories uh, by which i mean the fairly recent jimmy olsen series by uh, fraction and lieber crazy stories superman family characters on the periphery uh, amusing one-page strips a bit of uh, meta text about how ridiculous the concept is. You know, uh, generally crypto is played as a subverbal character. He's a dog, so uh, he thinks it images uh, a lot like the dog in another Matt Fraction series, Hawkeyes. I th- that's why I think maybe he's perfect for this. Oh yeah. Every issue also has a very slow reveal of a character coming. Played like Doomsday before the death of Superman. But that character, <laughs> I'm going to spoil it for you. The, the character is Super Turtle. And he's actually benign. So uh, that's the vibe of the, this book. It's very similar to yours in, in tone, but I think that's how you do. How do you do Super Pets if it's not going to be a bit of a comedy? You know, right. you, you go with the ridiculousness of it. Yes. So that's my crypto. The next entry is Krypton. And um, I call it World of Krypton. World of Krypton presents a world where the planet didn't blow up. So Jor-El got it wrong. He was discredited. Kal-El grew up in the shadow of his father's disgrace, became a journalist, and seeing the corrupt state that perhaps plotted to uh, send Jor-El to, off the deep end, he becomes a masked vigilante who uses his father's old tech to supplement his war on crime and corruption. So it's uh, a continuing Elseworld story, plays with the fragmented universe and it shows kal-el would always have become a hero basically so that's my krypton interesting uh i went a different way my book is called new krypton and it's based on the uh city of kandor that was re-enlarged and saved on a planet in a red sun galaxy back in superman 338 way way back um and i kind of think i'm stepping on kandor's toes here but my take on it would be straight science fiction commentary on current society. So it's like, how does a Kryptonian city manage to survive? You know, what are its politics? Science council, parliament, women don't have the right to vote. You know, they the men are the only ones who are allowed to wear the, the headbands. Is it like Korea? Is it because you have Jor-El, but you have Laura? Does Laura not have a last name? Or is it Laura Jor-El? I've heard various things. The idea is that we look at ourselves via a different world you know so the archaeology what do they have to learn about the new planet to exist is there anything on the planet uh zoologically speaking did they bring squirrels and birds and cats and dogs with them from andor and now they have to work together with the local squirrels cats dogs i don't know the the story i just kind of looked at it i'm not sure what's there but 
you know, the, you hear things about the Asian carp invading the Great Lakes and things like that, you know, with the Kandorians be invading this, this world, what's the uh, result of having these suddenly these humans on this world? Child-rearing things, you know, they've always had one or two kids shown in the Candor-type situation. Is that a population rule? Is it like China that you're only supposed to have one? Or or you, do you prefer one gender over the other? What about the poor and the hungry and the classless? Something kind of like Hawk World is what I would like to do, um, just on a big rip stage. More animal stories, I see. <laughs> I was trying to think of what are some of the, the situations we have socially and I thought, oh, you know, you have suddenly birds that are not native to that planet. What do they eat? You know, do they suddenly wipe out the dodo? And it's supposedly in a red sun galaxy. But, you know, what does that affect? How does that affect if it's not the exact same Krypton world's uh, environment? Does something happen? And then would there be a Nightwing and a Flamebird? I would have to talk to Michael Bailey and, and Van Z for some story consulting. From the, like, super future science fiction concept to fantasy the next entry is lady cheyenne from uh, originally from arion lord of atlantis you can bring it forward to the present you can keep it in the the past where do you go well i just had a uh, new krypton and now we're moving over to new atlantis and okay. this, i would try to bring back kupperberg and durzima and have them deal with it i always pronounced her name chan but i i don't know it that i like Cheyenne. that's that's kind of uh better she and Lord Arian and the other Atlanteans have to battle mystical and natural forces to tame the land that they will eventually name Serdia uh, from the old Aquaman series. So when we left them last, they had abandoned the sinking Atlantis and had tried to move on land for uh, Furging to create a new home. I would pick that up as a miniseries and see if, if there was an audience for that and it could create an ongoing or, or just stop where it is. I, I completely forget about Arion. It's not a character in this. Uh, Lady Cheyenne is the heroine of Antediluvian Earth instead. She's adventuring through a fantasy version of Asia uh, under threat from nearby still-to-be-sunk continents like Lemuria and Mu. You've heard those legends. As well as from her adoptive father, Fu Manchu, or I mean Mandarin. I mean, you know, whoever the warlord is that uh, took her away and trained her as a child. Very similar story here. I want this to have the feel of the best wuxia films, uh, like Come Drink With Me, A Touch of Zen, of course, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, if I'm to name one that, that people have heard about. Uh, but also uh, the stylistic flair, artistically, of Kurosawa films, Lone Wolf and Cub, that kind of stuff. Uh, so yeah. martial, martial Arts Madness, references to the great wuxia and Shambara films that I love, and uh, a sort of introspective heroine going through this but you know she's divorced from the the cast of the original book gotcha if we look at the next lady is lady quark well there never really been earth six stories and you just crisis basically and that's it uh so my lady quark series restores the world of earth six and focuses on the royal family that protects it lord volt <laughs> lady quark uh yes but also we find out that superpowers and aristocracy go hand in hand on this planet game of thrones with superheroes is the basic pitch uh, with some houses being more akin to the injustice league rather than the jla uh, i want to explore earth six and see what the analogs to earth one's characters are so imagine a version of the titans as young indolent aristocrats who will never inherit for example or the rogues 
Flash's rogues might be common rabble who want to take down the monarchy with <gasps> technology, you know. Lady Quark is still our main character. She's the real brains behind the throne. She's keeping all the balls in the air politically and superheroically. She's ruthless, uh, but has what you would call a positive vision for her world. She just has to fight tradition to get Earth-6 there. That's my take on a character that I've never cared about, really. <laughs> but this might make it uh, something I'd want to I'd read. Yes, well, oddly enough, I, my uh, concept is very, very similar to yours. Uh, I would go back to their planet. I'd have Lady Quark and Lord Volt and their daughter, Leanna, Princess Femme. I imagine that their Earth-6, you said, uh, is something like Avalon or Orando, some kind of mix of traditional... Uh, medieval, but also a little bit technical because she's they've got quarks and and some of that stuff. So and also I decided that it was a matriarchal world, kind of like the UK with superpowers. So she's the queen, but she also has a whole bunch of people doing work for her. The king is is her right hand man, but she, as you said, is is the glue, the 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 linchpin, the the lead. I have. Similar to your Teen Titans group, uh, a group of uh, royals who are not in line necessarily, but are hangers on or and they would be around to help and have some drama. I wouldn't want to go the whole Blackfire, Starfire, you know, Orm, uh, Aquaman type of my brother wants to kill me and take over the throne type of yeah, stuff. But yeah. just general things like, oh, I wish I could do that or, oh, I have to give up my inheritance because I'm marrying a commoner. Some, you know. Look very closely at the UK and at Japan and the Netherlands and places that do still have parts of a royal uh, society around and kind of model it on that. I, I didn't put any like pretender to the throne and humans, you know, Maximus kind of exact. I think that's been done a lot and we can do something else. Okay, people have been waiting long enough. This is the Legion issue. We've reached the Legion section of this book and it starts with the Legion Academy. Yes. So that's what I call this, the Legion Academy. And it's something like Professor Xavier's Academy for Gifted Youngsters or the, the New Mutants or the, the New Teen Titans when they were really kind of new and young. Uh, the Harry Potter type of mentality to go from TV show references, kind of Room 222 or the White Shadow kids trying to learn how to use their superpowers. I would keep Bouncing Boy and Duo Damsel as the uh, main teachers. But then they would have the guest professors of people like Wildfire and Telus and Polar Boy. So it would be very Legion based, but it would be separate. And its, it's pool of main characters would not be the Legion. It would be kind of the characters that are shown on this page, the the Jedediahs and the, the, the is that Power Boy um, and Shadow Kid. Some of the characters who have also been introduced in the more recent Adventure Comics uh, versions. Then I'd also like to have... Heroes from other worlds that are naturally gifted, such as Brawl or Durla or um, Karg, who want to come in and have no intention of joining the Legion per se, but want to learn how to be their local superheroes, like the Shadow Kid, right? So he's mm. he's not going to ever be a Legionnaire, but he's got powers that they can teach him how to do hand-to-hand -hand combat, right? So <laughs> they're going to teach the kids how to not just depend on their abilities. Crystal Kid, right, would be a great example of Okay, you get one shot of turning the guy's uh, laser into a crystal, and if you miss, then you have to punch him in the face. Otherwise, he's going to kill you, right? So you have to learn how to deal with everything you've got. I had trouble with this book because it, I kind of thought it should be the subs too, right? The, the Legion Academy teaching heroes how to be heroes. 
just naturally that would be a good fit for the, the substitute heroes. But I have subs doing something else, so they wouldn't be really involved in this book. Although some of the classic subs like Stoneboy might be in here to learn how to, to move around when he's turned into stone because we find out that he is able eventually to do that. The um, main stories that I'd like to look at is things like, you know, who's Cosmic King? Who are the other Legion of Supervillain characters who we've never heard of or we've heard of, but we have no backstory for? So maybe I can imagine that some of those would be Mentalas, right? So she joined and then she quits to join the Fatal Five. But really, in this case, Cosmic King really does join the Legion Academy and then really does quit to become a bad guy, right? So he's he's not trying to be noble. He really is a bad guy. And my twist on this is that it's not just the Legion Academy, but it's also the Legion of Supervillains Academy, right? So there's a mirror version of it that they don't necessarily know about that has the two stories kind of parallel. We've got the um, maybe a nemesis kid type of character coming in, learning as much as he can about how to run this place and then leaving and becoming the new Tarek the Mute or the new nemesis kid or the new whomever to become the training for the, the bad guys. Characters like Chameleon Chief or Sun Emperor or you know Saturn Queen, who we never saw in the, the Bronze Age timing. More of a school drama, if that makes any sense. Not um, necessarily legion adventure based we're we're really close on this i think it's uh it's, it kind of writes itself in a way it's not broken don't fix it you know my first proper legion comic starred the academy so i have a fondness for that concept full academy as well for me you know make the characters visibly younger actually you know the book is kind of a high school soap opera borderline anime feel manga i guess some of the changes i would bring is that laurel kent is not a manhunter robot I hated that. That doesn't happen. Comet <laughs> Queen uh, is toned down considerably from annoying Valley Girl to simply a trend follower. I, I see her like a, like a TikTok first adopter kind of character. Right. Uh-huh. And that would work better today. I feel like that's she's very dated. When, when she was created, maybe that made sense. It was still annoying. But what is that? teenager today you know so that's kind of the idea but otherwise it's you know developing these characters their relationships i would also include bouncing boy and duo damsel and wildfire i think should be one of the main teachers because always had that you know that role yeah uh and then you bring in the other you bring in the other legionnaires you want you know for special coursework or action adventure field trips Kind of like that first Academy story that I, I'd read, which is, I'm, I want to say Legion of Superheroes 304. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, <laughs> that's the template. So, so yeah, Legion Academy, I think we're of similar minds. I like the idea of having maybe someone like Laurel Kent or Shadow Kid as the upperclassmen, shall we say. And then some characters, I think, would just naturally move on. It would be kind of I call out the White Shadow because that's a TV show from the 70s who start which started out with like a cast of, let's say, 10 uh, young men. And then the second season and the third season, they, they some of them graduated. So it's like it, it would have a different class. Right. So um, I could imagine Shadow Kid saying, OK, yeah, I've learned everything I need to or I must go back to Talak 8. And then he'd be out of the out of the main uh, cast of characters for a while or forever. You know, he would not be. It wouldn't be stagnant. It would be a, a training ground in something. And I think the New Mutants and the, the Young X-Men, things like that, had that idea, but they didn't really play off with it because the current group was just so popular that they just kept them all around. That's a good point. I think I would integrate that into mine as well. 
Okay, the Legion of, Sub- of Substitute Heroes are next. So here you're going to see how things fragment because they're not necessarily part of the same continuity. If the Academy was my first Legion issue, my first Legion era story was that DC Comics presents with the subs. So again, I feel very connected to these characters. I know it did damage to the brand, you know, the Giffen era. You know, they're completely ridiculous. And it's still the one I want to bring back, but not under Giffen. I think that style of humor wouldn't play as well. Rather, I want to give Ty Templeton a shot at telling their story. He did an amazing job on their Secret Origin uh, and on Bouncing Boys, too. So he's got the handle on the more ridiculous aspects of the Legion stories. And that's the style I want for the series where the subs live in the shadow of the proper Legion. They do their best. They never get credit or glory. They win accidentally, you know, despite themselves. And Templeton also brings a bit of Mad Magazine or Crack Magazine humor with, you know, background gags and little labels uh, in those Secret Origin stories. So that's basically the template for my sub book. I call them the substitutes, and I lean heavily on that in my concept. I decided that Cosmic Boy and Night Girl, Duo Damsel, Bouncing Boy basically have decided to create kind of a shadow cabinet or a star chamber, a Mission Impossible, a JLA task force. So an espionage squad for when the main legion is not available, um, they would be headquartered on someplace else besides Earth, maybe Weber's world or spaceport or someplace where they can be kind of a heroes for hire, guarding special events or dignitaries or things like that. I would have them invite or introduce or try out characters from Brawl and Imsk and Titan and Bismol. The tone would be kind of a Mission Impossible JLA task force, and it would be say, um, Cosmic Boy, after some soul-searching about whether or not he wants to rejoin the Legion after the death of his younger brother, he would uh, meet up with some girl from Brawl who had seen Magnetic Kid and Lightning Lass and Telus when they went to Brawl, and she decided that she was so touched by his sacrifice during the Magic Wars that she wanted to train to become Magno Girl or, or something like that. And so that would be kind of a crossover between the subs and the Legion Academy and the Legion book proper. It turns out that Kaz uh, would decide to marry Night Girl, quit the Legion proper, and mostly run the substitute heroes and do things that he would see as kind of proactive rather than reactive. This would involve also the brawl Imskian War, and I'm kind of teasing my Legion concept, but basically there'd be some beginnings uh, of that to see where that leads, and the legions of substitute heroes would eventually prevent that war from breaking out. Okay, so you, you're undoing the five years later timeline. Well, I don't want to uh, uh, spoil it, but I'm I'm heading towards it with undoing certain things. Yes, yeah. certain things would happen, but certain things would not. Let's just head into it then. The main legion book, I take it it's picking up right after the Baxter series. Yes, exactly. Right. Continuing immediately after the Magic Wars, the Legion starts to clean up the universe. Uh, they return to Earth, and they find that Gates, Impulse, Kid Quantum, Andromeda, Excess, Starboy is a black guy. They're all members and always have been. Marzal is back on Earth, and so is Tyrock, although he potentially is tied to Earth and can't go off on deep missions, space missions. Turns out that Block will be our point-of-view character. He, not being a carbon-based life form, knows that there's been some sort of time swap. I think you'll like this part. He's basically Guinan from yesterday's Enterprise. He looks around and he's like, I don't know you. And he's like, oh, sure you do. We've uh, had all these adventures. And he's like, 
No, I haven't. And so he goes back and does some holovision checks to see that, oh, yeah, in fact, Andromeda takes Supergirl's place, for example. Excess uh, joined right after Shadowlass, you know, and things that are just integrating the three continuities into one merged universe. Turns out that the Legion of Three Worlds stories kind of combined them all and starts them off right after the Magic Wars. So then we're heading towards the five-year-later future, but we don't necessarily get there, right? So as I mentioned before, the brawl Imskian War will be prevented by the subs. Danielle Takar uh, would turn into Computo, but Element Lad isn't going to be turning into evil person. Reflecto and Devlin both show up and both kind of have similar powers. Maybe they're cousins twice removed, like Patty Duke or something. I don't know. As I mentioned earlier, Cosmic Boy mourns his little brother, Lightning Lad wants him to rejoin. That's the next book, so I won't okay. talk about Lightning Lad. But I'm also picking up from a certain point. It's the reboot era. So if you remember mine and Shotgun's coverage of that stretch, first it was the Archie Legion, then it went dark with Legion Lost, and yep. uh, started picking up the pieces with the Legion. The era ended on a throwaway four-parter by Gail Simone, in which she proved she really had a handle on these characters' voices, and I, I can't believe she's never done more Legion stuff. So that's exactly mm -hmm. where we pick up, in Gail's hands, with a new bright era for this iteration of the team, which, to be fair, had gotten to the point where it was pretty recognizable to older fans. We get to see resolutions for the storylines left dangling, like uh, Livewire's predicament in Element Lad's body, Lori Morning evolving into the new Time Trapper, just what is up with Apparitions and Ultra Boy's baby. So for me, that's enough to give it a green light. Like, it felt mm -hmm. like they, they cut us off from a lot of ongoing plot lines. Uh, similar to, to your feel about the Levitz era, when it ended, it's like, well, there, there's all these things left hanging uh, and then we just jump five years and it's kind of forgotten well similarly when we went from reboot to three boot it's like well you know i thought things were looking up but obviously i know how comics work sales were down let's make a big shift whatever the reboot legion gets to live again in this particular fragment of fragmented state if I'll just jump into the Legion of Super Pets, since I, I did have a series here for, for them. Yeah. For me, that's, this is a, a, similar to yours, a real Justice League of Animals. Uh, replace Prody with Ace the Bat Hound, as is usually done, as you did, uh, in a world where the Super Pets are actually the only superheroes of note. Uh, they mostly save other animals. They aren't particularly interested in human affairs, but they might help humanity, incidentally. They have secret identities and problems at home. We see Streaky cuddling with a an actually human Linda Danvers, or Crypto as Skip on the Kent farm looking after the cows. Beppo's <laughs> secret lair is in a zoo where other animals have daily planet-type personalities. And of course, it's it's extra humiliating for human supervillains to be defeated by cats and dogs. So it's a comedy. <laughs> uh, but I want the superhero action to be legit. Still. Yes. Still. It's still like the a Superman family kind of book. But yeah, so similar to yours, really. That's my Legion of Super Pets. You already mentioned yours. So we can move on to... It's like a little break from Legion stuff with Liberty Bell. I had a little bit trouble of coming up with a concept for her because I love the All-Star Squadron concept so much. So it's like, okay, well, how can I do just a, a Liberty Bell without bringing back the whole All-Star Squadron? And then that became my concept. That became my pitch. You know, a miniseries or, or potential ongoing. Uh, Libby Lawrence is searching for missing All-Star Squad members as part of her, her assignment from her radio uh, network as Libby Lawrence. So her 
office doesn't realize that she's Liberty Bell, but she gives this assignment to Libby Lawrence to say, well, you know, whatever happened to Amazing Man? You know, so a little bit of that DC's Comics Presents vibe. She has the inside track to find these people. So that's kind of cool. She and Johnny Quick then have cross-country adventures circa 1948. And I potentially have her trying to find Amazing Man because African-American in the late 40s, early 50s would be an interesting story, regardless of what he's actually doing. God forbid he's a shoe sign boy or a hotel, you know, uh, bellboy or something. Hopefully he's doing something more exciting, but even that would be a, a pathos that would be will, worth talking about. Then Robot Man, who I think had a DCCP appearance, but we could check in with him before he got his brain uh, pulled out and put into another guy. Um, Shining Knight, that would set up where he ends up with in Stargirl and the, the Seven Soldiers revamped history. The Tarantula, who is evidently happily retired, but we could at least look in on him before he turns into the old. I was actually thinking just a minute ago that, gosh, I've, all of these words and names and characters I haven't thought of in years are coming to my mind without any problem at all. And now I hit a wall as to Tarantula's real name. John Law? Something yeah, like that. Yeah, Jonathan Law. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember what I did yesterday, but I can remember the Tarantula's uh, real name. Haven't you read his book on uh, <laughs> on superheroes? Right. So he was reintroduced in Nightwing, right? By um, We know that he lives and retires, but we can f- catch up to him. Find out about Sandy, the golden boy, and see how, whether or not he has, um, I guess at this timing, he would still be the sand monster in the velvet cage. So maybe we meet Sandman and Libby and Johnny feel that there's something going on, but they aren't sure what. Kind of a catch up. And if it's it's sales warrants, then we could do maybe a mid 50s, late 40s revival of the All-Star Squadron on whatever the current continuity would be at that point through D.C. I'd always be game for more All-Star Squadron as well, uh, for sure. Uh, My Liberty Bell, uh, very often, it's like, well, I'm looking for something. I'll just read the entry and pick up on an element. And the entry reminds us that she is the descendant of Revolutionary War heroine Miss Liberty. So I want to go further and say that she's from a long line of patriotic American heroines who fought for freedom and justice in the Civil War, the turn of the century, etc. Our series does take place in the 40s, where she's mostly up against fifth columnists in her hometown of Philadelphia. She's not an obscure hero at all. She's the Captain America of the DCU in this fragment. And mm. we create a mythology around her and the actual Liberty Bell, which acts as her bat signal in uh, addition to giving her bursts of strength uh, when it's rung. Really, any bell will do because it's psychological. She just has to hear a bell ring and it, it you know, you know, it reminds her of her symbol. She uses a network of helpers called the Blue Boys. So stay tuned. <laughs> I thought of that myself, but I, I discarded that. I did not discard it. Uh, so stay tuned. Johnny Quick isn't in her life yet. So she can have other romances and relationships and we can keep it open-ended. So this is a high action period piece that probably has something to say about America of the now by looking back at the past when Nazis were first gaining a foothold. Uh, mm-hmm. So, But this is the Captain America title that, that DC doesn't really have. I'm putting it on her shoulders. Back to Legion stuff. Lightning Lad is our next entry. More Legionnaires, more Legion eras, thanks to my fragmented state thing. This is the Levitz era fragment. And Lightning Lad has been married, you know, out of the team, as the Constitution dictates. Uh, But he finds life as a husband and dad lacking excitement. And even if he's still in his 20s, it's his midlife crisis, superhero's midlife crisis. So he becomes a rare thing in the 30th century, 
a solo hero. He gets into solid superhero adventures, usually teamed up with a buddy from the Legion, and Saturn Girl's fine with it. He, you know, he's promised to do his share at home, so there's a certain humor in his having to race home, not to miss little Graham's first steps, or if we advanced uh, everything by uh, a few years, his preschool plays and his little league games, you know. Ultimately, we want Garth to get in touch with fatherhood and start feeling the pull of action heroics less and less until he really does retire. So at the same time, I want to give fans of the Levitz era uh, advancement on the characters they liked, using them as extended family who drop by the suburbs frequently. You know, a kind of, uh, you know, the 80s Mr. Miracle series, you know, kind of suburban thing. You get to see the Legion, but through that, that filter. That sounds interesting. I was challenged by the next three entries because it's, you know, it's Lightning Lad, Lightning Lass, Lightning Lord, the three Rand's uh, siblings. And I initially thought of something about Legionnaires 3, right? So it would be Lightning Lad and Ayla, Lightning Lass, and then maybe somebody else. And then it hit me. I'm going to call my book Lightning Lad. It's based off of Garth and Imra, but also the twins. So it's the two kids, Graham and Validus, who might be called something else. And it's the misadventures of Garth and Ayla, but also Graham and Validus. And also Ayla and Salu, Digby, Shrinking Violet, Garth and Imra, Mecht is a supporting character. So it's it's the whole Rand's kind of family. Garth is a house husband, but he does things that uh, he comes across thieves and, you know, bank robbers and the equivalent of that sort of thing. So he does have some adventures in that sense. But it's more of a exploration of daily life in the, the 31st century. You know what? We got a couple glimpses of, you know, like the science police and the vacation resorts, places like that. But what does it really mean to be to live in 31st century metropolis. So it's the little people that are outside the Legion peripheries. Mecht is trying to go straight, and so maybe he's trying to reach out for some sort of companionship. It's his arc has always been he wants companionship. He wants a he wants a twin. He wants someone to share his life with. But there could be commentary on him being an ex-con and how it's difficult for him to live. Again, kind of spotlighting real world by using a science fiction situation. He can't vote. They won't hire him. His education is uh, impeded because he's an ex-con. We've got Ayla and Salu being um, open, lesbian couple, bring in Duplicate Boy maybe for some closure on that whole thing. Maybe bring in Bryn a little bit, uh, accepting and happy for them. And I think that the action would be similar to, to that DC special from the late 70s where there was a blackout or a power outage or those sorts of things that Lightning Lad, especially power outages, Lightning Lad could lend his abilities to. Things about immigration, racism. What does it mean to be a non-Karen on Earth? How are they treated? Do they have passports? Do they have green cards? With all of the immigration, I'm not sure how Canada deals with it, but the United States has a huge problem or huge, I won't say problem. Perception of problem. Yes, that, oh, hey, we have all these foreigners. What do the Earth people think when we have people from Wyneth and Durla and, you know, Chameleon Girl is an actress, but wouldn't people say, well, why are we hiring a chameleon to play that part? Why can't a, a Brawlian actress take that role? You know, right? So I, I think some of that stuff could play out. Um, I'd like to look at religion, specifically how Titan versus Wyneth you know, how are they raising their little boys? I think there was a baptism shown, right? Something like that um, in the early series. So are they 
Christian of some sort, I would like to investigate that. And I think it would be easier to do when this, the, the lead characters rather than a huge group of superheroes. It's, it's kind of like Bridget loves Bernie, right? It's like, oh, well, I'm Jewish and she's Catholic. How do we deal? How do we deal? I don't care about society. How do you and I get along? And so that would be the focus of it. So Titan, you know, they want to have a, I don't know, circumcision or something. And Wynette's like, hell no, we don't do that. That kind of thing. I, obviously, we wouldn't talk about that. But that's a good example of things. My wife is Japanese, so I'm cognizant of some of these social conversations that happen that, oh, we don't do that. Oh, you don't? So I think that would be interesting. It's, it's very much part of our worldview here in Acadia because of the because there, there's a French-English divide. And you'd think, well, we're all like white people. But the right. Franco and Anglo don't necessarily get along. There's a, where do you send your kids? In what language will they right. have their education? And it causes a lot of problems and discussions. And so exogamous relationships are a thing. So I, I like that you want to go and explore, which is actually something a part of your life, but it's certainly not you know unique in the world. There are many places where there are many ethnicities, languages, uh, you know, religions kind of coexisting. So that's, I, I like the idea of making this a family book and that through that you're exploring 30th century society, but then also our own, you know, through that filter, that Star Trek filter. Am I to take that then Lightning Last does not have her own series? This has all been bundled up? That is correct, but I do have a Lightning Last book. Okay, oh, well, go ahead. So this was one of my issues that how could I do a Lightning Lad book and also a Lightning Last book when I really want to tell all of the brand's stories in one book? So my Lightning Last is the daughter of Black Lightning. She's approximately 15 years old, and she's got to deal with the complexity of her powers while also being a junior high school kid. Think Stargirl. Think uh, Steve Ditko, Spider-Man. Think Tim Drake, Robin. A little bit as shown in the Black Lightning TV show, but make her younger. I, I don't like the idea that Black Lightning has two adult children, so she would be, say, 15-ish and would be learning her powers. It would be a, a girl version of a static, maybe. Well, it makes sense. You know, we can repurpose these names. Yeah, in my case, obviously, I've got all those fragments, so I can pick from many Legion continuities. I'm putting Ayla in the 5YL era, Dominator-controlled Earth, <laughs> you know. They lost the plot after they destroyed Earth, so it, it hasn't happened in this fragment. It's still on Earth. She's oh. uh, leading the Resistance with her girlfriend, Shrinking Violet. The series is called Legion, colon, Resistance. And it can also include any of the other characters important to that era, including the battle-savvy subs that you mentioned earlier, Invisible Kid, Kono. No power hitters. This is a, a desperate fight, and Ayla is the most powerful and competent member of the team. Really give her the, the spotlight. This will have a grungy Suicide Squad feeling to it, especially considering the characters are alive in other realities. I can bump them off here if I want. That means uh, we can have villains join the fight, like Ron Carr did in the original comics, actually. So, mm -hmm. so they can provide some of that cannon fodder. I'm not killing Stone Boy. <laughs> but Ron Carr, you know becomes two-dimensional, somebody cuts them up with uh, scissors. So, yeah. whatever. But yeah, this is my 5YL book, which is still an era that I enjoyed. It's, a, it's a very opaque. But by making it more of, well, kind of similar to your subs, where it's Black Ops missions kind of stuff. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking when you were talking. It's like, oh, yeah, that sounds kind of like mine, but yours is more grungier and more things on the line if it's set in the five-year later. Right. Yeah, the Legion as dystopia, which we've had these stories. They're not my favorites, and so you won't see that in any of my other Legion titles, but I do have it this once. 
Okay, let's move away from the Legion a little bit with Light Ray. So my pitch is, what if Darkseid and Highfather never made their trade? Scott Free grows up on New Genesis and Orion on Apocalypse, but Scott is he's pretty human compared to any of the other new gods, you know? He's pretty much more vulnerable than others. And so Highfather assigns his best friend as his bodyguard, and that's Light Ray. Scott may not have powers, but he's still obsessed with escape. Escape to the wilderness below the city, escape from royal obligations, escape to Earth, uh, where the people are more like him, escape to a lover's nook to meet up with a certain female fury with a heart of gold, some Romeo and Juliet forbidden love stuff. <laughs> so it's up to Light Ray to protect him from himself, have the time, and bring him home safe and sound. It tests his sunny disposition, but he and Scott couldn't remain friends if Light Ray weren't so forgiving. He ends most adventures saying, well, no harm done. So it's a series about the freedom of youth. What's the name of it? Uh, it's still called Light Ray. So we're seeing it through his eyes. Oh, okay. Unless I can find a better title. I, I agree it's not the greatest title for this. Okay. Yeah, it sounds kind of a little bit of what I'm talking about. Full disclosure, I'm not a huge New Gods fan. So I would take Walt Simonson or Jim Starlin or Mike Allred or somebody who has admitted passion for these characters. And I would call it Young Gods. So I would have the Light Ray, Little Light Ray, and, and Young Orion before they have to deal with all of these tenseness and anxiety. Uh, they would just be, you know, hanging out at, um, I guess it's New Genesis, right? And just be a mini series about, you know, what, how they grew up to become the characters they later become. It would be a mini series of say four or six issues, just having straight kind of godlike Kirby esque. Uh, adventures out in uh, outer space. I'll steal Young Gods right from under you as a title. I, I, it fits. I mean, it fits. You know, it fits my, the 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 story I told. So I had an epiphany when I was walking my dog, thinking, "New Gods. What do I do with New Gods? They're young." And I'm like, ooh, they're young gods. Okay, I'll do that. That's good. I mean, there are a lot of young characters in this issue because the Legion were all teenage heroes and uh, light ray obviously and the next up is lilith so a teen titan so again a young hero yeah. do you have any connection to lilith and what are you going to do with this character because th that was one of my um you know question marks well i do have a connection with her actually but uh, let me hit you with my uh concept first i call it uh guardian angel and it's a mini series Again, Lilith returns to Earth because she is anxious to help others uh, searching for that so-called something similar to how she searched for her true mother back in the 60s and 70s. So it's kind of highway to heaven, touched by an angel, Route 66 type of popping herself down into uh, certain situations and resolving them with a happy ending of some type and then moving on. Um, and I'd like her supporting cast to be People like Mal and Karen, then I don't know how to pronounce his name, but the, the cave boy, Nark or Ganark or whatever it was, find out what he, he's really doing, kind of maybe send him back to his uh, real history if possible. I don't have a whole lot of love for this character, but she was one of the characters of the Teen Titans when I first came across it in real comics. I saw them first on TV, the filmation cartoons, and I had a very specific idea that it was Aqualad and Speedy and Wonder Girl and... Kid Flash and, of course, Robin. And I think the very second issue I ever read was like Lilith and Mal Duncan and Kid Flash and Wonder Girl. And I'm like, what the hell is this? <laughs> so, yeah. And I liked Lilith, but I wasn't a big fan of the kind of, I don't want to say damsel in distress, but she definitely had 
she was written at the time as being one of those, woe is me, I don't know my history, I, I, I'm not as useful as I could be type characters. So I want to kind of turn that on its ear and say, all right, I've got my space. I know where my center is. And now I'm going to help you and you and you and you find yours. Hmm. I have no connection to this era of the Titans. Yeah. And reading the entry, I couldn't get past the Kentucky connection. That somehow <laughs> she was raised in an orphanage in Kentucky, which is also where the houses of mystery and secrets are. Oh. I don't know what it is with Chris Franklin's home state. <laughs> <laughs> it's, some, it's a nexus to the supernatural or whatever. So Lilith was, in my fragment, was never adopted and instead became a horror host like Cain and Abel. And frankly, she has the Ooh. biblical name for it. So from yeah. the House of Dread, she has visions of the future, all manner of apocalypses or of people living horrible lives in post-apocalyptic worlds, those kinds of stories. And in the DCU, it can be supernatural, it can be science fiction, it can be weird, it can be anything. And Lilith sees it all and tells it all. So I've really turned her into a host for an <laughs> anthology series about the end of the world. You can tell I don't care about a character if I transform them into something else entirely. And that's what I've done with Lilith. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. there's not a whole lot to do with Lilith, I, I, I gotta say. Speaking of little to do, uh, Little Boy Blue and <laughs> the Blue Boys, as I kind of suggested, part of Liberty Bell's reality fragment, Little Boy Blue tells the story of what happens when Liberty Bell fails to have a female child to follow in the family tradition that I established in the other book. She and Johnny Quick oh. had a son who, appropriately enough, can run at the speed of sound, but just, you know, and who carries on as Little Boy Blue, running the Blue Boys in the contemporary era, which I say contemporary, but that's probably like the late 70s, if we keep, you know, the, the timeline. Uh, he took the name yeah. as a kid, and he's kept it even into his 20s and 30s. He and his wife, Little Miss Redhead, are trying hard to have a baby, hopefully a girl that they can call Belle, but screwed up superhero genetics has made it difficult. And, and this is a problem that many couples have. But uh, in this case, it may be tied to his genetic, his specific genetic heritage. As a series, Little Boy Blue and the Blue Boys is a team book in the tradition of Blackhawks. Uh, you know, a medium-sized cast out to protect America from the evils of their era and, or generally help people. And at its core, it's about a legacy in the process of being lost and the few true believers who are trying to keep it alive. But as people lose confidence in their nation, 70s malaise, is the age of the patriotic hero done? So imagine, if Liberty Bell is our Captain America, then what happens, you know, while Captain America is in the, the ice or whatever? You know, is, is there a place for a patriotic hero in these other times? Son of Liberty Bell, I like that. <laughs> well, I went totally different. This one gave me a little bit of trouble but then I hooked on to the blues. Mm. I, my miniseries would be called The Little Boys Blues. And there's a jazz club in Big City that is owned and operated by Tommy Rogers' son, Danny Boy. And this is actually a front for anti-mob uh, activity. The brother, Tommy Boy, is now a cop. And Tubby has married Little Miss Redhead. And they have a granddaughter named Little Red Riding Hood. And she is kind of a star girl, a middle schooler girl who may or may not have any powers. I don't think anybody in this book. I'm basing my idea off kind of the O'Dares from uh, the Starman book, kind of like this family of cops and people who want to do good, but who don't necessarily have any superhero powers. 
but they're doing the best they can in a bad situation. So they work against the mob undercover. They have the musical guests that include potentially Mal Duncan, the hornblower, or the guardian. They've got the scooter, uh, the old British Herman's Hermit copy from DC in the 60s. They've got the Carpenters and Paul and Linda McCartney clones that were in the old uh, Teen Titans book. Again, going back to the Teen Titans. Deep cuts. Yeah, yeah. Well, but you know who I mean. Yeah. Um, and the Super Friends, the elemental singer that E. Nelson Bridwell used a couple of times. Deep cuts of already established musical acts would come in and they would fight, you know, the equivalent of the Kingpin or, or the Whale or the 100 or whatever it is. And... Um, after a little bit of, you know, six issues or four issues, whatever it is, they would defeat the the one leg, the one tentacle of the Hydra, as it were, and say, okay, well, we'll just have to keep going. We can, good can never sleep or something, and then it would be over. Unless it's a major hit. Like you have to keep going. Yeah, we could, but I doubt it. <laughs> okay, yeah. Uh, I, I know what you mean. And on the same page, we get the character that was hardest <laughs> for me, because yet another animal hero, and but little cheese. My book is called The Zoo Crew, and it's the subtitle is The Return of Little Cheese. So Captain Carrot and his zoo crew are on their Earth fighting Salamandroid or Frogzilla when Harbingerbull, let me say that again, Harbingerbull um, <laughs> and Piranha Pariah arrive looking for Little Cheese. They're shocked to find out that he's dead. They tell the crew that Alicadabra killing Little Cheese didn't really happen, and suddenly Per, P-U-R-R, Per Degaton, an anti-monitor lizard, arrive. And in the crowd scene, Chester Cheese says, golly. And so then in the second issue, uh, we learn that uh, Little Cheese is back. This Earth is, there's a theme here, <laughs> combining with all the others. This is a crisis on Earth, C-. And all of the various versions of the zoo crew are combining into each other. And that's okay for Rubber Duck and Pig Iron and characters like that who are basically the same over various Earths. But for characters like Little Cheese, who's been killed on one Earth but not on another, he's getting this different power change. And he is now combining to become Big Little Cheese. And he can grow like Hank Pym and he can shrink like the Atom. So he is now Big Little Cheese. He's okay. They fight off the bad guys uh, in some sort of Roy Thomas, Marv Wolfman, Crisis versus Avengers type crossover story, blah, blah, blah. And then the zoo crew is back in business. Ali Kadabra did not murder uh, Little Cheese on this world. Good. And it's pilot for a new zoo crew series that could feature things like the kimono dragon, the cash cow, the eager beaver, the one trick pony, the road hog, the cat burglar, black sheep and the woolly mammoths. And hopefully, potentially a crossover with the Legion of Super Pets. I think you did a good job of, of keeping it within the established continuity. Not me. <laughs> what we never really got from DC, really, is an Earth Prime series. Now, I don't mean Earth Prime with a superhero in it like Ultra or uh, Superboy Prime, because that's cheating. Yeah. That's not our Earth. But Earth Prime as it used to be. Our Earth as part of the multiverse. So My Little Cheese comic is a pseudo-biography of the cartoonist who writes and draws a strip called Little Cheese about a mouse superhero. She, the, the cartoonist, had success with it in the indie boom of the 80s. There was even a cartoon at some point, but the industry isn't what it was, was and a cartoon mouse, not owned by Disney, is a hard sell. So she and the other comics pros in the story are really composites of industry stories that are real or smack of the real or urban legends. And we do see in the periphery 
that DC is publishing the books that it's actually publishing with cameos by real DC pros, which is what makes it Earth Prime. Uh, Little Cheese himself, of course, features in short strips and maybe animation cell type, you know, bits. But uh, <laughs> but he's always breaking the fourth wall. He acts as the cartoonist Jiminy Cricket, some someone to talk to and bounce opinions off of. So he's a character in her imagination that she can interact with, but obviously no one, no one else sees. But it's supposed to be a sort of uh, tell-all of the comics industry with the names filed off. I sort of let go of the Zucru stuff, because after all, I've got to do every issue, so i got to do every Zucru character, which is a, <laughs> it's its own. It's like, And I don't want to repeat myself, so uh, moving on to Lois Lane. So procedural journalism is a subgenre I personally truly enjoy. You know, All the President's Men, Spotlight, to name two memorable examples. But that's what I want for Lois Lane. She's a journalist detective in the DCU. Uh, obviously, that means all sorts of strangeness in addition to the normal reporting, the normal corruption one might uncover. We still keep it grounded in that journalism world. The focus is not on romance with Clark Kent or Superman at all. It's on the profession showing how it should be done and highlighting the problems with media in the 21st century. Lois will expose all sorts of secrets in the DCU, the ones we know, you know, Amanda Waller's Task Force X or uh, Luthor's Criminal Empire, and secrets that we don't, connections we never knew that existed between characters. And uh, I can't tell you because they're all secrets. You know, that's Lois Lane's jobs to tell you. My Lois Lane series is quite a lot like my Daily Planet series from a few episodes back. But there you go. That's that's what I would want to do with her. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did it. We managed to have the exact same concept yeah. in this issue because I I actually called out all the president's men and spotlight. And I went to Lou Grant, the old TV yes. show and, and his girl Friday, all that sort of like the life of a reporter type show. Um, so it's the supporting characters would be we would go through the 70s and 80s Superman family, Lois Lane issues to, to find out people who have already been introduced Jimmy Olsen, Cat, but there'd also be the black, Asian, gay, straight characters we haven't seen, the cartoonists, the photographers, the managing editors, the sports editors, the features editors, the online version, you know, the battle between print and digital. We would have Metropolis. Uh, as you say, there'd be investigations on Luthor, but also say like the League of Assassins, um, kind of the outside looking in. We see what's happening, but what is the average DC universe people seeing? So Marvel's type take, Lois Lane would be our eyes to, to see some of the things. And maybe uh, you can't print that Lois type situations would it, uh, arise. But basically it would be, as you say, the storytelling of what's going on from, from the average person's point of view. I imagine that the Daily Planet is similar to our New York Times or LA Times or Chicago Tribune, where just the name of the paper itself will get you in the door for so many other things, whereas, you know, the Columbus Dispatch would not, or, you know, the Ontario such and such would not necessarily have the same clout as, oh, you're from the Daily Planet. Oh, Superman would not be a main or even a strong supporting character. We'd have Steel, Black Lightning, um, the Guardian, the Gangbuster, other characters who are also live in Metropolis and learn more about them. So yeah, basically the same concept as yours. That's nice. Your mention of uh, Lou Grant, you know, in the wake of Ed Asner's recent passing. Yes. You made me think, oh, what would it have been if uh, it's, it's Lois Lane, but it's as Mary Tyler Moore, <laughs> the Mary Tyler Moore <laughs> show version of Lois Lane. That might be an yeah. interesting way to do it uh, as well. I, mean, I guess in a way, yeah. 
Lois and Clark, the TV show was kind of like that. Next up, an outsider, Looker. Not the best outsider, and that's saying something in my book. So what? Were- <laughs> now wait a minute. You have you have a disdain for the whole outsiders group, right? Well, all the characters created for outsiders. Okay. I, I don't have a problem with Black Lightning or Batman, uh, except Batman as a leader of the Outsiders sucks. Uh, you know, Metamorpho, that's fine. All the characters created for, I feel, were kind of written down on a napkin over lunch, over a liquid lunch. Mm-hmm. And that's what we got. I, I don't feel like they're very well presented or used or... Anyway, that's my thing. But Looker comes in later in the series and just looking at it it's it's an eyesore this is like one of the worst superhero designs ever <laughs> in yeah. terms of costume so that's foreshadowing that i'm going to change the concept entirely but <laughs> did you stick closer to the what's actually on the page or did you reinvent it this one gave me the most trouble because um, when i looked through the list and i looked at looker and she was never one of my favorites she came as you said she came in later and she just seemed very strange. Her concept of being given powers, you know, this mousy, quiet, shy woman, librarian type, giving these powers to turn into, you know, Cheryl Teagues or, you know, whoever the current hot model is, never really struck me as a good concept in the first place. And then, as you say, the, the uniform is just awful. Then I kind of initially thought of her as being maybe let's treat her as censor girl, right? The whole Legion vibe that, oh, she has mental powers, so she's showing you what she wants you to see. But then when I thought about it, and I actually went back and looked at some old Outsiders comics, she never really had that power. So I had to re- kind of had to scrub that. What I came up with was a four-issue miniseries. I kept the character as Leah Briggs, but it's called The Outsiders Looking In. And we've got, basically, lookers end up as DC's version of Marvel Girl. So she's not a vampire. I throw that away. She decides that she would like the outsiders to reform. And so she travels to Markovia to try to convince Geoforce. But he's like the king or the, the prince regent or something. He can't really get away. And he says that, you know, also, we can't really reform without Halo because she's this big you know, albatross hanging over us that she was struck by Baron Bedlam or the Manhunters or whatever it was. And so she's in this coma. So Looker uses her mental abilities to try to reach into Halo's, her brain or whatever it is. And we get Halo to wake up. And the Oracle says, yeah, no, I'm leaving. She turns into some sort of celestial Madonna or something like that. And she leaves. She leaves Earth. Then Metamorpho arrives. And so he joins Looker to go to Gotham City, where they meet Thunder, Black Lightning's daughter. And then um, whatever Thunder's girlfriend's name is, and I hate that she doesn't have a code name. So then they decide to join. Then they go back to Markovia and Geoforce agrees to help sponsor them, but only if they stay in Europe, especially close to Markovia. They don't like the name Outsiders because they are no longer outside of anything. Consider using the name The Seven Soldiers, because that's where I went. I tried to recreate The Seven Soldiers of Victory, but I couldn't come up with enough reason that I liked logical reasons why the the outsiders would morph into the seven soldiers of victory. The linkage was that the atomic Knight, who was one of the later, much later uh, outsiders kind of hangers on supporting characters. He was one of the seven soldiers in one of those miniseries where the other seven soldiers were metamorpho and black Hawk and Batgirl and Mento and somebody else. So I was trying to kind of combine them. I had to call themselves the Royal guards or the seven stars or something like that, because the, flag of Markovia is a seven-pointed star or something. Kind of the hook would be that they are 
always looking for seven members, but there's only five of them at every, any given time. So I would bring back Katana um, and Atomic Knight and Windfall. I wouldn't necessarily have them join, but then also maybe Batwoman. I tied with, I kind of toyed with the idea of having a majority woman group. Man Bat and his wife, Francine, were both also involved in, in one or two iterations of The Outsiders. So I'd have them come in. Faust's son maybe is a villain. I like Son of Vulcan. Then, of course, Nightwing, Arsenal, and Batman would all have to check in. And the four-issue miniseries would be called Looking for Love, Don't Look Back, Look on the Bright Side, and the last issue would be Look Alive. And I would have her change her costume, similar to the one that Alan Grant and Norm Brayfogle did in Detective uh, 607 when they she joined Batman to fight the Mud Pack. That, if you have not read that story, is the best characterization of Looker ever. She switched from pink to blue or she covered her legs. It's it's a better version. So I would come up with something. Again, I'm thinking Marvel Girl. So maybe a skirt with tights and boots, something to kind of subtly point out that this is the DC version of Marvel Girl. There's a reclamation job to be done here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. In my case, like I said, jettison everything. So we've seen a lot of reality fragments already, right? In my line, but what about those that you wouldn't want to explore on a regular basis? Well, the looker is an entity that looks at all those other fragments in a book called Fractured State, totally in the style of Marvel's What If, I'm shameless. Every month, (laughs) we see a new world, and at the end of every issue, the looker disposes of that reality as she sees fit. Maybe she hangs it on the wall. Maybe she eats it like a slice of pizza, which is kind of my wink at the original vampire thing. So unlike the Watcher, she judges and takes action. Let's say there's more than fragments than what we can tell, and this is the book that that sort of reveals that. Interesting. Pretty simple, no outsiders. Okay, moving on (laughs) to The Losers, which is the last page of this issue. The Losers have been in normal war stories. They've been also in Kirby's war stories. And no surprise, I'm leaning more that way. I'm not changing the cast of The Losers, but I'm making them the Doom Patrol of World War II, or... Weird War Two, as it's going to be. Examples of stories. Wotanic Druid makes Captain Storm's wooden leg sprout a forest, and he becomes connected to the woodland battles uh, as a temporary plant elemental. Uh, the squad gets caught up in a time loop and relive the bombing of a town until they can break the cycle. We've got monster islands. We've got experimental German mechs. We've got time-traveling Nazis from a world where they won the war. You name it. It's then reinterpreted by writers like, I'm not saying it's them, but... Morrison or Hickman, you know, someone who would come up with even weirder concepts than those. Interesting. <laughs> so mine's a little bit more straightforward. I hooked onto the name, The Losers, and given that there are no winners in war, I decided that um, U.S. Special Forces Corporal Hiro Miyazaki is tasked with reviewing cases for delayed or overlooked commendations. So from his stack of manila folders on his desk in Washington, he starts reviewing minority and other losers from World War II or potentially later. And I thought this morning we could do a Civil Wars thing, too. But basically, he's present day and he's looking back at past exploits and deciding that, oh, so-and-so should have gotten the accommodation that he deserved. This would be a historically heavy book because I want to base it on kind of real stories. The 442nd Infantry Regiment, which was the segregated Japanese infantry, the 100th Infantry Battalion, 
the military intelligence service, the Merrill's Marauders, which was a group of Japanese Americans that were in China, Burma, and India fighting because they could understand the Japanese on the other side, the, the enemy Japanese. So they would be the code breakers and the infiltrators and things like that. Ben Kuroki was the most famous bomber over Europe, and he was a POW in Germany. So his story would be ripe for uh, drama uh, or based on his story, because I don't know exactly what happened. There's Nikkei, uh, Japanese-American walks, the, the women supporting uh, service women, and they were treated badly, as you can imagine. Then, of course, the George Takei story, the, the Japanese-Americans internments. And I wonder if Kung, who was an entry that we skipped over because he was a bad guy, he was real named Thomas Morita, and he was interred. So maybe there's something there that we could use him as, as a, a plot there, too. It wouldn't just be Japanese-Americans, of course. It would also be the Tuskegee Airmen, the 761st Tank Battalions. Maybe they meet the Haunted Tank. What would the um, Confederacy uh, General uh, Stewart on the Haunted Tank, would they meet the black guys in the, the Tank Battalion? That would be an interesting team-up, for sure. The Battle of the Bulge had desegregated troops. The supply lines at the Battle of the Bulge were predominantly African-American. There was a story when I was doing some research for this that there's called the Immortal Chaplains. There were four um, religious army guys, think Father Mulcahy, right? So there was a rabbi, there was a Methodist priest, there was a Reformed Catholic, and there was a Roman Catholic. And they were all on a troop transport that got hit outside of Great Britain. And they helped the other soldiers get into um, the rescue boats and they all drowned. So the four immortal chaplains gave up their lives so that the other men could live. That's the kind of story that I would feature in this book. The Navajo code talkers, Native Americans, maybe Johnny Cloud has some uh, link to that. I would reimagine Gunner, Sarge, and Pooch as less mainstream white. I don't know, maybe one of them was Jewish. Maybe Gunner has a lisp and he, he gets teased because he's girly or he's not quite manly because he talks with a lisp. You know, something that would make him feel as if he was a loser rather than just having you know, the boat shot out from under him, which is, I mean, come on, that shit happens. So it's not really a, a whole lot of character development there. This would be a miniseries probably because it would be just so top heavy with um, research. But if it sold well, I think it could be a couple series of specials or things like that. True-ish war stories. Right. From the stories that we never hear that, you know, I was struck by this picture of all white people and the one, you know, Johnny Cloud, the, the one guy who's not a white guy. I just watched a soldier story which is a, a black uh, segregated troop. And I watched recently Go For Broke, which was the Japanese uh, Americans in the Battle of the Bulge, and Tuskegee Airmen, the, the, not the Red Tails, the other one with Lawrence Fishburne. So there's a lot of stories out there, of a lot of heroism told by people who don't, who aren't Audie Murphy. All right, come on, <laughs> let's not tell the same John Wayne stories every time. No, it's, it's, it's a worthy... Uh, endeavor. We're down to the bonus book if you have one. Do you? No. I looked long and hard on The Lord of Time, and I really would have liked to play with him as kind of a Kang or Time Trapper type character. Who is he? What is he doing? What's his motivation? But in the end, I kind of thought, I don't think that's salesworthy. I don't think there's enough interest there. And then The Legion of Supervillains, I kind of threw into The Legion Academy. So no, I don't have anybody else. Do you? Yes, it's called Krona's History of the DC Universe. 
<laughs> I should have guessed that. It uses Krona. It's my line's answer to Secret Origins with the Guardian Krona looking back at history and the causes of the fracture and with his team trying to reconstruct, if you'll allow me this term, the sacred timeline. By making these choices, he heals reality into its final post-fractured state form, covering heroes or storylines that aren't told in the event itself. Yeah, He lets things play out, but eventually closes off or reintegrates characters into the mainstream DCU. Krona's exploration of history, I don't want it to be chronological, because then we're stuck in cavemen for a long while. But So we move around telling stories of heroes from the dawn of time to the universe's final entropy as needed. But this is basically the event book where... By the end, through this series, and it can continue on as a sort of Secret Origins clone, but by the end of this, we'll have the true history of this new reintegrated DCU. That's funny. It time loops back from the end back to the very first entry, and so now we're fated to do this all over again. <laughs> Rest replay. <laughs> Meanwhile, we'll follow the now established tradition uh, that we have only enough money to buy one series from the other editor's line. Which mm. one will it be? You want to spend your money first? Yeah, I really like the idea of Liberty Bell as Captain America. I when you said that, I thought, of course, yes, that is exactly what she should be. DC has missed the mark on that. And I would gladly buy a book starring Liberty Bell. Wow. Because I am such a All-Star Squadron nerd and a Golden Age character nerd that that is also the series I want to buy from you. <laughs> Liberty Bell's quest to find out what happened to all, you know, just post-war era, what happened to all the All-Star Squadron members and... Uh, and eventually, maybe that leads. I love the idea that that might lead to a new All Star book. You know, to replace the the sort of hero absent, no JSA fifties that DC is has decided is is the true history. Right. I like that rewriting of it because I love all those characters, and I especially love the Golden Age characters that are not in the JSA or not the main JSA members because I love forgotten characters. And even though All Star Squadron is kind of a hard read today. It's so wordy and, you know, old fashioned in a way. That series made me fall in love with all these Golden Age concepts and a lot of those characters, including Liberty Bell, which I thought was like one of the standouts in Roy Thomas's uh, book. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so we're each, I mean, we're each buying Liberty Bell comics. Who knew that she she had this uh, in her? Yeah. Uh, Well, dear listeners, it's time to go to fireandwaterpodcast.com. Tell us what you think. Would you read any of these books? If you were in charge, what series would you offer using these characters? And if you like this content, think about visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash fwpodcast. I hope you had fun, Russell. Yes, I did. It was uh, much more interesting than I thought when you asked me to do it. I thought, oh, that's that would be tedious. But really, there was only one or two that were like, how would I come up with something that I would want to buy for this character? Because I don't care about this character, right? So mostly it was fun. Good. Tell people where they can find your work on the internet. Well, I am the chief of Legion of Super Bloggers, legionofsuperbloggers.blogspot.com. We do our twice weekly reviews of Legion books, hoping that the current Legion book would come back. Um, the other place you can find me is Friends of Justice, which is uh, seiginonakama.blogspot.com. I actually do kind of what we're talking about today. I do fan fiction. I create my own Justice League stories, and I'm about to post my 50th issue where the Justice League fights the Legion of Doom. And that's where you can find me. All right. Thanks for trying the experiment with me. And until next time, who's editing? We are.
it was okay, but it, it felt very much like sort of a karaoke legion because okay. we were doing redoing stories that had been done in the Silver Age before, and I regret that. I really would have preferred we'd been pushed into doing a little more new stuff with those characters, but it was a no-win situation in DC because the history of the Legion had been so eroded by continuity reboots and stuff that there was just no foundation to build the Legion on anymore, so we had to sort of start from scratch.